Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Tonight's episode coming on the heels of a Jets loss at home, 18-33 against the Philadelphia Eagles. Jets go to 3-9 on the season. Obviously, playoffs are way out of the realm of possibility. And a game up against the Philadelphia Eagles that you thought maybe would be winnable, especially when you found out they'd be going with backup quarterback Gardner Minshew instead of Jalen Hurts, turns out to be a much, much tougher task than we anticipated, specifically stopping that offense. So we're going to talk about all that. We're going to do our usual sections. We're going to do injuries, some updates in the team, offense, defense, special teams. We're going to look at the AFC East draft nuggets and then preview next week's Saints game. Before I do that, I got to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's under the Gangrene Nation podcast series title. This is the Jet Life. And follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. All right, so let's start real quick with just some injury updates on the Jets. Corey Davis, he has a core muscle injury that he's going to have surgery on. At this point, with just a few weeks left in the year, he's out for the season. It's like an 8- to 10-week recovery time, and at this point, it's just better to get him back, get him healthy so that when training camp and everything rolls around, he's in full, ready-to-go shape, You know, no nagging, lingering injuries or anything like that. And it'll give an opportunity to some younger guys to get opportunities. We've got guys like Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims, who, of course, would like to get more opportunities to receive the ball. And you got some other guys that are on you know, expiring contracts, a guy like Keelan Cole on a one-year deal, Jameson Crowder on the last year of his deal. So just to see a couple more reps from those guys and see, hey, do we want to bring them back another year? So definitely some evaluation that's going to be going on there. Corey Davis is a big loss, but at this point at 3-9, and nine, like, you know, you want to win games, of course. You want to field your best team possible. But there's plenty of room to go around. The Jets are, we know what they are. And Corey Davis isn't going to make or break what they're doing out there. Glad to have him back for next year, though. When he was starting early the season, like the first half before he got injured, he really was having a great season. And uh, we have him for two more years. Hopefully he's a contributor like that moving forward as well. Uh, more injuries in this game. Ryan Griffin, he left with an ankle injury. So, I mean, we have been so decimated at that tight end position that if you're looking at it fully healthy, a Tyler Croft, Ryan Griffin, you know, Trevon Wesco room, it's one of the worst tight end groups in the entire NFL. And then you lose Tyler Croft, Trevon Wesco, possibly now Ryan Griffin. Daniel Brown was traded away and then brought back to the practice squad. I mean, we may be seeing more Daniel Brown and Kenny Yaboa than ever. So we'll see what happens with Ryan Griffin. Uh, if Tyler Croft comes back from his lung laceration sooner than later, that would be good. We just got to get through the season with, with something there. I mean, there's not even a lot of evaluation going on at that tight end position. It's just like we know we have to improve it, and it just keeps getting worse. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he left the game with an ankle injury. Since coming here and getting up to speed, he's been getting the starts at right guard instead of Greg Van Roten. When he went down, Van Roten came back in. LDT's not a great pass blocker, but he's been very good at run blocking all season long. He's been kind of a grinder for the Jets. And we'll see if he can come back and get uh, back on the field because he's going to need reps next to those guys to see if his pass blocking can develop enough to make him a serviceable right guard moving forward or whether or not he's just a guy you know passing through for a season. Michael Carter, too, suffered a concussion. We'll check up on that as he gets monitored and has to pass protocols and tests and everything. Makai Becton, he's getting closer to practicing possibly this week. I mean, this has been a long road for him. It was originally like four to eight weeks. I think we're on the back end of that now for sure. And then getting back into speed and football shape and everything. 
it's tough for a guy that's as big as he is, like, you know, 350-plus pounds. It's a lot to get that body back in shape when you've been not moving around for the past, you know, eight weeks or so. So I don't blame him or anything. You obviously can't be upset at a guy that's injured. You know he wants to get back on the field. He wants to get playing. But unfortunately, we haven't seen enough of him this year. And I'd like to see him back before the season's over. We're really running out of time here at 3-9. and nine. We've only got five games left. Hopefully we can get him in at the end. But, of course, not at the risk of getting him injured. If that's a possibility, you'd rather just steer clear and start next year with him fully healthy. I think at this point, though, with Mekhi Becton's situation, it's becoming pretty clear we need to have three tackles on the team that are serviceable and ready to play because Mekhi Becton right now cannot be counted on to play the 2022 season in full. It's likely not going to happen. So Trevon Wesco, Sheldon Rankins, they're currently questionable for Sunday, possibly working their way back. Keelan Cole, he's on the COVID list and potentially could get his off, his way off that list as he passes You know the protocols that they have to go through. Mike White as well is in that same situation. So that's kind of the injuries that we have going on with the Jets right now. In other news, Quinnen Williams was voted the Jets' Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. There is one from every single team. He's done a lot of great stuff. He's got his own foundation, the Quinnen Williams Foundation. He's got a Williams Scholarship. Basically likes to help you know, low-income families in need, tackling poverty and unfairness and all that stuff. So he's been doing great stuff. We are proud of Quinnen Williams. Great guy. Great young man. Hopefully he wins the thing, but we'll see him wearing a... He should be wearing a Walter Payton Man of the Year decal on his helmet or something for the rest of the year since he is a nominee. And... Yeah, pretty cool to see that. On top of that, we've got Pro Bowl voting going on right now. So if you felt like voting any of those Jets in, now's the time to do it. I personally do vote the Jets in that I think deserve it. I don't just go on every single page. I'm not going to vote in Zach Wilson. I'm not going to vote in a bunch of guys that don't necessarily deserve it just because they're Jets. I'm going to go in and I'm going to find every single Jet that is worthy of you know consideration at least, even if they're not going to win, just a guy that's been playing well for the team. People like that for me, Quinn Williams. Braxton Berrios in the return game, Bryce Hall, John Franklin Myers. I think you could look at the linebackers, C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams. Offensively, you could look at Elijah Moore and Michael Carter, even though they're rookies, and maybe even Michael Carter, too, or any of the offensive linemen that have been playing all right throughout the season. I think those guys, if they did get voted in, most of them probably are not the best at their position, but they are playing good football at least, and, you know, sometimes you gotta you got to give back to those guys that, you know, play well for us. So I'll vote for them. In terms of transactions for the Jets, the Jets moved away from Matt Amendola, a kicker who had been struggling mightily for the Jets. I was not a fan of him going in. He obviously did horrible at kicking for the Jets. They decided to replace him with a guy named Kessman, who kicked this week, got two extra point opportunities, missed them both. Basically the worst possible performance you could have, kicking some kicks that should never be missed by anybody. And we're moving on from Kessman as well. And it looks like the Jets are going to go with a guy named Eddie Pinero. Eddie Pinero is a like a 26-year-old guy or something, but he's actually kicked in the league before. He played an entire season with the Chicago Bears, kicked 82%. He was 93% from extra points, so a pretty good job from him. He did miss a couple big kicks for them, and they elected to move away from him, find somebody else, which is fine, but at least he's got NFL experience. Way more than a Sam Ficken, a Kari Vedvik, you know, the people that we've been rolling out there. Some guys had no experience, an Amendola or a Kessman or a Bertolette. All these guys have gotten opportunities with the Jets. At least this guy has kicked in the league, kicks over 82%. We'll see if he's been working on it, getting better, and I don't know. We probably have to address it next year. This guy actually has a chance. This is the highest event on the kicker the Jets have brought in since probably Jason Myers, honestly. He's still just a scrap heap guy that's available now. Hasn't kicked since 2019. We'll see what he's got. Five games left. Can't do worse than Kessman. Not possible to do worse than Kessman. 
All right, so a quick recap of this game. It started off really fun. The Jets were scoring on every single drive, right? Three of three for the Jets, three touchdowns. Of course, they missed the first two extra points and then didn't get it. On their third try when they had to go for two because they didn't trust the kicker, they didn't get it then either. So they only got 18 points out of three touchdowns. But the Jets were moving the ball down the field, partially helped by Braxton Berrios with a monster 80-yard return on the first kickoff of the game, but also some good runs by Tevin Coleman, some nice passes by Zach Wilson to Elijah Moore and Jameson Crowder, and even capped off by another Zach Wilson rushing touchdown. And early in the game, it looked really, really good. But unfortunately... The Eagles were scoring every single time they had the ball, and they were making their extra points. So all of a sudden, it's 21-18. to 18. Both teams have scored three times, but they're up by three because the Jets can't make an extra point. So the Eagles are scoring regularly. You go into the half 24-18, to 18, and after that, the Jets don't score again. Tale of two halves, which is kind of the opposite of what we've seen from the Jets this year. Usually bad first half, good second half. This time, great first half. Second half, not so much. But the Eagles were consistently running the ball, picking up first downs, scoring. They scored every single possession except for the last one with like two minutes left in the game. They punted the ball for the first time in the entire game. No turnovers, just touchdowns and field goals on every single drive. They ran for monster numbers. Their offensive line dominated in the trenches. And we saw a lot from what we saw against a team like the Colts. The Eagles are built very similar to the Colts in the sense that they play, you know, kind of conservative passing football, some short passes. They got a nice front up front. They run the ball, like to pound the rock. And it makes sense because... Sirianni is from the coaching tree of Frank Reich, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Frank Reich had Sirianni as his offensive coordinator when Phillip Rivers was there, and then eventually he got promoted into that Eagles role. So you see a lot of similarities there, and the Jets got pounded by the Colts on Thursday Night Football. They got pounded by this Eagles team. When you heard Jalen Hurts wasn't going to play, it was going to be Gardner Minshew, you thought to yourself, all right, well, that's a little less dynamic. We could do some, some good stuff against Gardner Minshew, make him uncomfortable. I mean, he hasn't even played all year. But that was not the case. They dissected the zone when they had to. They ran really nicely. And they won in the trenches. And that's kind of how you beat the, That's how you dominate the Jets. Because one of the best things about this team, probably the best thing about the defense, is that defensive line. Not the pass rush necessarily, but just good, solid pieces left to right on the defensive line. You feel good about all the players. You can't say that about necessarily the linebacking group. You can't say that about the defensive backfield. But you can about the defensive line. They're not necessarily all pros or Pro Bowl players, but they're good. And some of them are close to getting there. Quinn and Williams, a JFM, perhaps could be in that all-pro, Pro Bowl conversation in a couple of years if they keep it up. But right now, we don't have dominance. We just have kind of a solid unit. And on defense, it's the only solid unit that we have. But when you're playing against a team that is very, very good in the trenches, and they've got a killer offensive line that can neutralize the best thing on our defense, then they can run down our throat like that, that is asking for a long day. A long day at the office. And it was for the Jets. So they got beat up in this one. 33 to 18, they end up losing. And yeah, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the, the specifics, the offense, defense, and all that. But before we move on, I do want to do a quick father time. Give my dad some thoughts on what he saw from the Jets game. And this week's father time is titled Let's Be Clear. This is written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Let's be clear. The running teams will be hard to stop in December and January and February. The Colts, Eagles, and Patriots have offensive lines built for power and the running game. They zigged when the rest of the league zagged. They smaller, lighter, and faster defenses like the Jets will always have trouble handling those big, nasty running offenses. Ask the Bills. They gave up 222 yards last night. But note this. That efficient run game is the offense that JD is building. We will be one of those teams sooner rather than later, so stand by. Now what about Zach? 
Let's be clear on that, too. This season is about Zach Wilson and his acclimation to playing in the NFL. Progress has been slow, but he's starting to make bigger steps. A quick list of observations. He threw over 60% on Sunday. Easy throws are becoming easier for him. Intermediate throws are improved. These stats make the long ball more lethal than ever. He's getting rid of the ball faster. and He's playing the conservative, boring ball, Robert Sala's word. But this is most important. Zach is proving to me that he is coachable. He's able to be taught and is learning and progressing because of it. He's working on what needs to be worked on. Last Sunday made it clear. These improvements are a result of Zach Wilson listening to the coaches and applying it to the field on Sunday afternoon, and that is why I continue to be optimistic about Zach Wilson. And his confidence will follow. Go Jets. End scene. So, whoa, some glowing words from my dad on Zach Wilson, who obviously is rooting for Zach Wilson as a fan of Zach Wilson and everything, but has been kind of quiet, you know, to date on how he feels about him. I think he's a little bit nervous to get in there and say, you know, Zach Wilson's the guy. I think he had more confidence, just like me, in Sam Darnold coming out. And, you know, obviously he's watched more Jets quarterbacks fail than I have. So a little tentative going in until he sees some stuff. Zach Wilson definitely gives you plenty of reason to be like, he might not have it. He's kind of erratic and doesn't look ready for the NFL. But at the same time, you know, what he said is exactly right. And in this game, I was really optimistic and excited and encouraged by what I saw as well. Because we've had issues with Zach Wilson all season long with his short passing, with his accuracy, with his confidence, with him, you know, holding onto the ball too long in the pocket, trying to go too deep and, like, looking for a specific receiver, usually Corey Davis early in the season, or just falling in love with the deep ball and trying to make flashy plays. And we watched Mike White come in and operate with 400 yards of passing offense, just throwing the ball dinks and dunks to the running backs. Zach Wilson has learned from that. We didn't see a ton last week, which left you like, oh, I was hoping to see a little more coming out. But we said, you know, he was rusty. An excuse there. Coming out this week against an Eagles defense that's pretty good, has definitely some good players across the field. He looked much, much better. And those things that my dad is saying, focusing on short throws, the intermediate throws, not falling in love with the long ball, getting the ball to the running backs, running the ball in himself, having some confidence and having some completion percentage over 60%. This was one of his best games, and it was doing it with all the stuff that we haven't seen from him this year. He didn't get 225 yards via long ball. He got 225 yards by passing the ball to the right guy and making more on-target throws than usual. Now, he definitely did still have some bad throws on, like, eight-yard passes. I think the way that I kind of summed it up was all season long we watched Zach Wilson Miss guys that were short by five yards. This week, he was missing them by like half a yard. They weren't perfectly on target, not right at the guy's chest or right in his hands. They were catchable balls, though. For the first time, consistently catchable balls. Sometimes difficult. Sometimes the receivers and running backs had to bail them out and make a play. But at least the guys had a chance. It wasn't just a horrible dirt, a horrible airmail. There were a couple bad throws in this game from him. My dad's absolutely right. When you see it and you watch the change that you saw from, you know, the Titans week or early in the season to what we see now, he definitely has been coached. He absolutely has adapted his gameplay a little bit and is getting better at the things that he was really bad at, at least in this week. So if my dad's right and he is coachable and he's going to continue to learn, we already know he's got a ton of arm talent. We know he's got the physical traits to be great. If he can learn, adapt, keep getting better, yeah, he'll be lethal. And when it comes to the beginning part that my dad was talking about in that, I, I completely agree. That's kind of what I was saying before. That these running teams, the Patriots, Colts, Eagles, these are teams that absolutely destroy the Jets. We can't stop a running attack like that right now. Hopefully moving forward, we'll be able to do that. And hopefully moving forward, just like you said, 
we're going to be one of those teams doing the exact same things to teams just like the Jets, trying to figure it out, running a zone defense without their trenches being completely stout, take advantage of those guys and just dominate a game. I mean, the way the Patriots did it last night against the Bills, the way the Eagles did it against us, you really don't ask your team to put you in situations to make mistakes. You kind of just say, hey, hold on to the ball and run it down their throat. Let's get out of this thing unscathed with a win. And it's not necessarily the most flashy, always the most exciting brand of football, but winning is the best. This is kind of how the Jets used to win back in the old days when they were good, and maybe we're working towards that again. So we see Zach Wilson develop. Got to feel encouraged about all that. So thank you for the father time, Dad. Before we move to the next section, we do have to take a quick commercial break. All right, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We're going to talk about the game specifically. I do want to touch on Robert Sala's performance in this one because we got kind of screwed by the officiating, and I feel like it's kind of becoming a theme. Too many years or too many weeks this year, I've said the officiating is no good, and usually that's a bad sign. Usually it means that you're biased, and you see the calls for your team, which everybody's guilty of. But in this game, there were some really bad ones that you can't feel very good about the uh, the play officiating this one. You saw Robert Sala losing his mind. He was screaming at the officials, trying to get some calls for the Jets. Didn't really work out. We had way more penalties than the Eagles, and you saw him getting angry. But I like to see that passion from a coach because for too long, Adam Gase, we saw him kind of flat. Todd Bowles, he didn't have that fire. The last guy that had that sort of you know energy to really get on the officials was Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan obviously came with all sorts of other issues and baggage and whatnot. So I like to see that in a head coach, standing up for his guys. And in all those cases where he was losing it, I was absolutely on his side. So we're going to move over to the offense, defense, special teams, and all that. But quickly, I just want to touch on the team stats in this game. The Jets were outplayed by the Eagles. When you look at it, really, the rushing numbers for the Eagles is what won it. They only had 233 passing yards, but they had 185 rushing yards on 4.5 yards per rush. They only had three penalties in this game. The Jets had six penalties for 66 yards. We weren't able to keep up with that rushing attack. They ended up having 11 minutes more time of possession. Ended up getting more first downs and whatnot. There are definitely some encouraging stats on here for the Jets. I think some of the nice numbers, you know, two for three on fourth down, good to see. When you see 4.1 yards per rush, I like that. Only sacked twice, not so bad. And then when you see red zone and red zone attempts, three for three in the red zone. They just scored a touchdown on all three drives. So that was really nice to see them getting down there and scoring. Um, you know, kicking would have helped get the Jets some more points, would have helped keep this game close. But that's what happens when you kick Alex Ketsman out there and watch him go to work. The Jets only had one turnover in this game, which is pretty good considering Zach Wilson's been known for turning the ball over. One total turnover in the game. The Eagles had none, though. So when you lose the turnover battle, you lose the time of possession, you can't stop the run, you get more penalties, that's a recipe for a loss. And 18-33, to that feels about right for what we saw this Sunday. So we're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball. We're going to try to breeze through these guys pretty quickly on offense, defense, and special teams because the Jets lost again. They're 3-9. and We don't need to overcover this stuff in a losing effort. But starting with the quarterback on offense, Zach Wilson had an incredible first half. His adjusted completion percentage in the first half was 100%. 12 for 14 with two touchdowns thrown and a rushing touchdown. And on those 12 of 14, they said that uh, the two incomplete passes were actually drops by the receivers. So had they caught the ball when they should have, a drop is you know kind of credited to like a guy that got his hands on the ball. It was definitely a catchable ball and wasn't complete. So Zach Wilson actually, had those been caught, which they should have been, would have been 14 for 14 in the first half, which is incredible improvement, a great offensive showing. 
Unfortunately, he didn't keep it up in the second half. The Jets didn't score another point in the second half, and their defense couldn't stop the Eagles whatsoever, and their kicker couldn't kick. So a lot of things were going against them. But you loved what you saw in the first half from Zach Wilson. And he ends this game 22 for 38, 226 yards, with two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. He's only sacked two times, and you got to feel really good about what you're seeing from Zach Wilson, at least in this game. And if he can carry it forward, if he finishes the season playing the rest of the games similar to this, you're going to feel really good going into the next year. So pleased with what I saw from Zach Wilson. Just got to build on it now. Got to show us that this wasn't an anomaly, one weird game where you had pretty good accuracy on the shorter throws. Show us that, you know, the accuracy wasn't great in this game. It can get even better. When you look at the rushing attack for the Jets, Tevin Coleman's the guy that's toting the rock the most. 11 carries for 58 yards, 5.3 yards per attempt, and that's a good rushing average. He's filling in very nicely for Michael Carter, who is absolutely missed because Michael Carter is a little bit more of a threat in the passing game and is a little bit more dangerous with the ball in his hands. But Tevin Coleman's doing a very good job. The other guys aren't really getting carries, specifically Ty Johnson and Austin Walter. Ty Johnson's getting more opportunities in the passing game, though. He's going out for more routes run. So I think when you look at the way it's set up right now without Michael Carter, they kind of see Tevin Coleman as the running back, Ty Johnson as the receiving back, and Austin Walter is like that, you know, mix them up wild card. Elijah Moore, he had one carry for nine yards to go on top of six receptions for 77 yards. So he leaves this game with seven touches for 86 total yards, another touchdown. Elijah Moore is on fire. He is our offensive player of the game in this one. He's doing things in the running game. He's doing things in the passing game, catching him downfield. He had a long of 29, and he's clearly becoming one of Zach Wilson's favorite targets. He was targeted 12 times in this game, twice as many as any other player. Jameson Crowder was targeted six times. Elijah Moore targeted 12. I think there were a couple plays that were very, very difficult plays, sliding plays, diving plays, a deep ball by the end zone to Elijah Moore that potentially he could have come down with. And if he had, he probably would have had his first 100-yard game of the season, would have had, you know, a really, really nice-looking statistical performance. When it comes down to it, he is consistently right now the guy that's getting it done, the guy that you want to get the ball in his hands, the guy that you want to see him go to work. And he's he's turning in. You know, he's getting touchdowns almost every single week. He's just a rookie right now, and I'm really excited about him. He's got, uh, he's got a lot of potential. If he starts pulling in those crazy acrobatic plays and those wild catches, I mean, then he'll be one of the best in the league. I really do believe that. So he is our offensive player of the game. His third time receiving that honor from this podcast. Very cool to see from Elijah Moore. The next best receiver in this game, Jamison Crowder. He almost had a touchdown in this game, but they marked him down at the one-yard line. It was ran in by Zach Wilson for a touchdown there, but four receptions for 62 yards. And then everybody else, pretty quiet. Ryan Griffin did have a receiving touchdown. That went down with an injury. He only had two catches, 15 yards. Corey Davis injured in this game, hobbled going in, hobbled coming out. Two for 15 Barrios had a catch for 11. Mims made a play, four yards. We'll see if the second-round pick can get to 200 receiving yards in the season. He's currently at, like, eight receptions, 133 yards. With Corey Davis out for the year, Keelan Cole still coming back. I mean, there's definitely opportunities for Denzel Mims. He just really has to start showing up. He really has to start doing more than what we've seen from him so far. And when you look at the offensive line, I think the offensive line did an okay job uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who's been one of the bright spots on that unit, one of the best players, he actually had one of his worst games of the year. They credited him with the most pressures against. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who's good in run blocking, not good in pass blocking, he left the game. Greg Van Roten came back in. You don't love to see that. I don't think you can be too upset with McGovern, Fant, or Moses, how either of them have played in really 
that many of the games this year. All three of them have been very, very solid at what they're doing. And, you know, one of them's a backup between Moses or Fant. One of them wouldn't be playing if Beckman was here. So you can tell it's built well. It still has a little bit of work to do. The guys have to get a little bit more chemistry. they got to play a little bit more. Some people need more snaps and everything. And we have to bring in probably one or two more pieces there. But overall, the offensive line is playing pretty well. We're getting the running game going a little bit. We're not getting our quarterback hammered too much. So I'm pleased with them. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, the defense was atrocious. I mean, what do we want to say? The defensive line, no good. There were a couple plays made by a Foley Fadakasi to Quinn and Williams on the line. You know, I think C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams actually had decent games. They were stopping. I mean, they're linebackers. They're middle linebackers waiting in there for the running backs. And Quincy Williams did end up stuffing guys at the line like three times for no yards. In this game, honestly, like a zero-yard play was extremely exciting. We had... We had two sacks. One went to Elijah Riley, the safety, coming in. The other one went to the team because in a play where Shaq Lawson chased Gardner Minshew out of bounds and he dropped the ball, it was considered a sack, but they didn't give it to Shaq Lawson because he didn't make enough contact with him. So they credit it as a team sack, not to an individual player. So they had two sacks in the game, but only one player has a sack in the stat sheet. Kind of weird there. But, you know, when you look at those negative yardage plays, there were hardly any. We had no turnovers forced in this game. So, you know, getting a couple stops at linebacker, it's good, but it's not going to win you defensive player of the game. There's only one guy that really stood out, and I went back and watched him again when I watched the game for the second time. I really focused on him because I was like, you know, someone out here must have played well. It's Bryce Hall. He gave up two catches for 23 yards in this game, was consistently blanketing his man, and they were putting a plethora of guys on him. Sometimes it was Devontae Smith or Jalen Rager. He was covering tight ends, running backs all sorts of people, he was covering them on the right side or defense left. Every single play, doing a really, really nice job. They flagged him on a penalty on Dallas Goddard that he absolutely played perfect defense there. Should have been a PBU, but they get him with a flag. That's BS. And then he made a really nice pass breakup in the end zone later in the game as well. So I was really happy with Bryce Hall. He has been one of the Jets' best contributors, and I know he doesn't get a lot of interceptions, not a lot of flashy tackles or big plays or anything, so it's kind of weird giving him player at the game. You're like, I don't really remember him doing anything. But we all remember as Jets fans what it was like with Revis. Until they were focusing on, on him later in his career, like, oh, watch how the guy he's going up against has no receptions. And they're starting to focus on plays that the wide receiver was just kind of jogging out there for 10 yards. Those were the highlights for Revis. We're not there yet. But no noise from a cornerback in this defense specifically is a good thing. And he's the one guy that's consistently showing up week in, week out. This is actually Bryce Hall's third defensive player of the game on the season. So Elijah Moore gets his third. Bryce Hall gets his third. Young guy showing up. It's good to see. Rest of the defensive backfield, not a great game from Javelin Guidry. Michael Carter, too, left with a concussion. Pinnock slipped on a play. Not great to see there. A couple of big mistakes from... Uh, Ashton Davis and Elijah Riley in coverage downfield when tight ends were getting open. It really felt like nobody was covered in this game. A lot of miscommunications, a lot of soft spots in the zone being identified and exploited. So overall, not happy with the defensive performance. And what can you do? You know, the Jets are 3-9 and nine at this point. They have a lot of work to do. They got a lot of draft picks, a lot of, a lot of financial assets that they can use to try to make this team better. But right now, it can be it can be a real bear to watch on a Sunday. So we're going to move over to special teams. But before we do that, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right. This is What's On Tap. And today I'm drinking something seasonal, a cranberry cider made by Downey Cider Company, which is in New England. 
it's up in Boston. I know there's a couple locations, I think. My buddy lives near one in Boston, so I'm pretty familiar with the place. He brings me stuff when he goes up there. This one I bought myself because I like the brewery, and I got it for, like, the holiday season for Thanksgiving and whatnot because I thought, ooh, a little cranberry cider could be nice around the holidays. I forgot that I'm not a huge cranberry fan in terms of, like, the flavor overall. It's kind of sour and tart, and this cider absolutely is that. But it's 5%. It's uh, It kind of has the profile of, like, a sour mixed with the cider. So not bad there. I would definitely not drink two of these things, but I think that, like, on the holiday season type of day, it's actually not that bad. I don't know. I'm enjoying it well enough. I won't get it again. It's not my favorite Downey cider. They have a lot of really good ciders there. This, not my favorite one. Also a little too much sugar in it for me. But, you know, I'm not going to complain. Something new. Mix it up. I've had plenty of worse things on this podcast. Even recently, I've been drinking some pretty lame or pretty shitty stuff. And this one is at least a quality beverage. So, Cranberry Cider by Downey Cider. And that is what's on tap. Now, before we move to special teams, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk about the special team side of the ball, and it was not so pretty. The kicking game was horrible. Alex Kessman comes in for Matt Amendola, who, you know, last week I kind of went out, I was like, Matt Amendola is a bad kicker. He should be gone. And they moved on from him right after that. They bring in Alex Kessman. They let this guy try. He misses his first extra point to the left, gets another try, misses an extra point to the left, doesn't get another try, and is already gone, replaced by Eddie Pinero. So a horrible game from him. Alex Kessman, oh man, what <laughs> what a mess. Just one more guy to the list, in for a game, and out. I would give him doghouse player of the game, but he's not really a Jet. He was just kind of in for a cup of coffee. We're not going to focus on him. We're going to focus on a different doghouse player of the game, and that's going to be punter Braden Mann, who for some reason has absolutely no juice in his leg. He kicked horribly in this game. But kind of credit they get each week with, like, really nice touch punts where he's able to get the ball inside the 5-yard line, inside the 10-yard line consistently. But in this game, he had a long of 45, none inside the 20, so a 45 is his long kick when he's trying to boot the ball. He had a short of, like, 34 where he kicked the ball straight up in the air. He's got that brace on his leg. And you're wondering to yourself, why don't we have Thomas Morstead punting? Honestly. Like, what is the reason behind playing a Matt Amendola and a Kessman and a Braden Mann? Like, do we feel bad for these guys? We want, like, a nice underdog story for a special teamer? Because there are much, much better players available all over the league. I'm not trying to cut Braden Mann because I think he still has potential to be a great Jets kicker. But he's got that brace on his leg. He probably should have been IR'd and shelved until next year when he's fully healthy and doesn't need that giant brace. And if that giant brace is a permanent thing, and this is now who Braden Mann is, then we probably do need a new kicker. So Braden Mann is our doghouse player of the game. He's got to get his leg back. We punt the ball too much to have a bad punter. We drafted him. He was supposed to be the guy. We moved on from Locke, who we drafted. Go to Braden Mann. It's a bummer there. I don't like to put him here, but he's got him. He's punting horribly. If you want to go to the positive side, though, your special teams player of the game, how could it not be Braxton Berrios? Three returns in the kick return game for 139 total yards, along of 80. He also had another return that was like, 35 yards, another really great return. The 80-yarder was beautiful. He almost broke it for the touchdown, but the Jets did get the touchdown on that drive, so no points lost there. And Berrios is just doing it consistently. Did you know that he's got, at least as of last week when I was doing my Pro Bowl voting, he has the third best punt return average in the entire NFL? Up until last week, I actually haven't looked at the stats, but at this point last week, there also has not been a single punt return touchdown in the NFL. 
So no big gainers or anything there. Braxton Barris is actually one of the best return men that we have in the league. He almost got the touchdown there, but a 46.3-yard average on his kick returns. By the end of the game, they were just like, all right, we're just going to kick the ball out of the end zone, make sure that Braxton Barrios does not get punt retur- or kick return opportunities. Now, of course, no punt return opportunities for Braxton Barrios because we didn't force a punt until two minutes left in the game. So Braxton Barrios, special teams player of the game, that guy's doing a good job and has earned his he's earned his spot in gang green just from special teams play. So that's special teams. We are going to move over to the next section, which is, check the notes, AFC East. Ugh, I hate the AFC East now. It used to be fun early in the year when we we're like, ooh, the Bills are winning, the Patriots suck, maybe the Jets are in the mix. Now the Jets aren't in the mix. The Patriots don't suck. They're in first place. Patriots beat the Bills 14-10 to last night on Monday Night Football, throwing the ball three to- total times in the entire game. Mac Jones went two for three. Every other play on offense for the Patriots was a run. They weren't even like doing so well that they had to keep running. They were having plays that was like third and seven. They're just running the ball, punting to the Bills over and over because they knew the Bills weren't going to score on them. Even though the Bills got in the red zone, couldn't knock it in. Patriots win 14-10. to They're now 9-4, and sole possession of first place in the AFC East. The Bills are 7-5. and This is the first of two matchups between the Bills and the Patriots. So we got one more game coming that'll be in Foxborough. Hopefully the Bills will have a little less wind and get a little bit more going there. The Patriots are coming up on a bye this week. The Bills will have an opportunity if they can win. Their game, then they can be one game back from the Patriots with one more matchup to go. So potentially they can still win the division for sure. But Patriots are looking, they're looking good. And it's not Mac Jones. It's the defense. It's the running game. It's the offensive line. It's the coaching. It's the mentality and the atmosphere over there. They're just poised and ready to win. The Dolphins, on the other hand, the Dolphins were sucking all season long, just like the Jets. They're now on a hot streak. They beat the Giants 20-9, and they're 6-7 and seven back in the wild card hunt. What in the world is going on? There could be three AFC East teams in the playoffs. How horrible would that be? Oh, my God. I was, like, ready to just give the Bills the AFC East, hope nobody else makes the playoffs, and then try again next year. But now it is getting worse and worse every week. Going over to draft nuggets. We've been following the Seahawks and Panthers on this podcast. The Seahawks beat the 49ers. They're now 4-8. and eight. The Panthers, they were on a bye. So the Seahawks, they're still in about the same spot drafting as they would have been, but they've got some easy games coming up still. This was potentially one of the harder ones they would play. was hoping they'd lose. Their next game's against the Texans. They're probably going to win that, go to 5-8. and eight. And the Jets probably won't be looking at like a top 5 pick, maybe a top 15, uh, maybe in that 13, 14, 15 range with the Seahawks are going to finish. We'll see. Uh, obviously got to root for the Texans in that one. And the Panthers, their next home game is versus the Falcons. And that team is all over the place right now. They are losing players left and right. They don't know who their quarterback should be. And we'll see. We'll see if the Panthers can win. We have their second and fourth round pick. We have to root for the Falcons in that game. So the last order of business in this podcast is just to preview the Saints game coming up next week. The Jets are obviously underdogs going into that game. The Saints are a better team, all that, yada, yada. But they got quarterback issues themselves. Taysom Hill was quarterback for them last week after Jameis Winston went down with injury. They tried Trevor Simeon out, didn't love it. Taysom Hill was injured. They move him into the role. Taysom Hill plays last week. He throws four interceptions and looked horrible. So they're going to try to play him. He's got a mallet finger injury. It's actually the same one that Russell Wilson had, the same one that I had when I was a kid two times. Uh, Taysom Hill has the exact same one. So that's like the flavor of the week injury is the mallet finger ruptured extensor tendon. He's going to try to play. I mean, he's more of like a running quarterback than a passing quarterback. So perhaps he thinks that he can rely on, you know, not gripping the ball as tightly, not as important to a guy like him. Perhaps we may see Trevor Simeon if he can't finish the game 
and or if he can't even start the game, which is definitely possible. But either way, you can't be too nervous about either one of those quarterbacks. The passing game for that team hasn't been very good all season to begin with. Even when Jameis Winston was the quarterback, they weren't getting a lot of yardage going there. They're missing Alvin Kamara. He's questionable for this game. The backup would be Mark Ingram. And then when you look at the wide receivers, I mean, the number one guy would be Deontay Harris, who's super speedy, kind of like an Elijah Moore type of wide receiver. But he just got suspended for a DUI back in the summer. He's missing the next three games. Will not be playing in this one. Then you got guys like Marquez Callaway, who I was pretty high on coming into the season from what he did in preseason. But he's a big-bodied guy that's just a little bit too inconsistent, doesn't get open often enough. Adam Troutman, pretty good tight end. Got to watch out for him. But you look at that offense, not a lot of weapons, not a lot of guys to run the ball, to throw the ball, not scared of their offense whatsoever. You just have to make sure that you don't give them short fields, that you don't make mistakes and make it easy on them. And that's going to be a little bit tough because they do have a good defense. The Saints' defense is absolutely the specialty of that team. And we're going to have to find a way to work on them. Now, Cam Jordan is definitely one of their best players. And he's actually got the Ironman longest streak of any non-specialist in the entire NFL for playing games. I think he's at like 165 consecutive games played. And right now, he's on the reserve COVID list. So unless he can pass two tests before Sunday, Cam Jordan may not be playing. And that'd be a pretty big deal for the Jets because he's a really good player. Also, their leading sack guy, Marcus Davenport, five and a half sacks for him. He's missed the last two games. He's questionable for this one. So perhaps the defensive line... And the pass rush of the Saints is a little bit hindered in this game, making it a little bit easier on the Jets. They do still have a pretty nice linebacker core. They've got Quan Alexander and ex-Jet, Demario Davis. They also have a really good secondary. Some really nice players there and very deep. Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams, nice safeties. Then at cornerback, they've got one of the best in the league in Marshawn Lattimore. They've also got Bradley Roby. They've got Paul Nadebo, who's a rookie. You can try to pick on Paul Nadebo, but he's actually a pretty good player. He makes plays here and there. He can be exploited, as all rookies can be, but that's a nice secondary. We have to hope that the pass rush doesn't dominate us, and the Jets have to try to establish the running game. That's how they win this one. they got to kind of play the same sort of offense they did against the Eagles. Not necessarily deep shots, not a lot of throwing into contested windows. Doing more, run the ball, move the sticks, stay ahead of the sticks, and then find open receivers, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 yards upfield. If they get a deep shot, if a guy's open, you got to take it. Zach Wilson, we know he's got the arm to do it. But, uh, you know, this is a strong defense, and you can't get too greedy on them. you got to play smart and assume that their offense isn't going to be too good against us. I mean, if we come into this game and in the first couple drives, the Saints are just moving the ball down the field with Mark Ingram, throwing it to little Jordan Humphrey and, and Marquez Callaway, then, yeah, we're going to be like, all right, things maybe have to change. But I think you got to come into this game kind of predicting like that 10-13 to 13 final score until things prove otherwise got to come in here and say, you know, we're not going to make mistakes. If we have to punt the ball, if we're just playing good conservative football, so be it. Maybe we can win the field position game. Maybe Eddie Panero can actually make a kick now. And maybe we can get a little bit of a, you know, a battle, a real hard-fought battle of two struggling offenses, one because the defense is so good, the other because the offense is so bad. It could be a a low-scoring game like that. I'm going to predict that the Saints win this one because they are a pretty good team. I'm going to give them 17 points and the Jets 14. Say so the Jets score two touchdowns in this game. I don't trust the kicker. He probably doesn't make them. Maybe two extra points. We lose this game 14-17, to 17, a low-scoring affair against the Saints. I'm not entirely sure what to expect, though, because it's hard for me to imagine the Jets playing good defense and getting stops, but then it's hard to imagine the Saints moving the ball on offense. And on defense, it's like, yeah, it's going to be tough to move the ball on them, but we do have some explosive playmakers that could get some stuff done. We'll see. I'm looking forward to the game. Um... Jets are 3-9, and nine, so if you're rooting for the Jets to tank, 
I don't think it's the right approach. I think you got to root for this team to continue stacking wins, gaining confidence, getting better, and you know, building it and using it towards next year. But of course, we're very, very close to draft talk and talking about who the Jets will be taking at pick, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And that's the case. You know, there's a point in the year where you're like, ah, if only we were one pick higher. Either way, it's all good. We just have to evaluate the young guys. Keep watching Zach Wilson progress. Watch Robert Sala and the coaching staff get more comfortable with what they're doing. And hope that the team can get a little bit of confidence, a little bit of momentum moving forward, get some guys on a rhythm, and answer some questions that we have going into next year. Make it easier on Joe Douglas through the draft process, through the free agency period. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. We got uh, a few more weeks left. This year is flying by. I wish it wasn't, but we're almost at the end. And same song and dance with the New York Jets. We will be back next week to talk about the Jets-Saints game. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. Jet Life.